Hello, listeners. We forgot to say this when we were recording this episode, so just a little announcement here that we will be spoiling this movie. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. If you do not want to know how it ends or what happens in Knock at the Cabin, stop listening. Guys, I can't fucking wait to see that movie. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, we are bringing you a very special feature. Oh, yes. yes. We're going to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. I cannot wait to watch this movie again because it's just so fucking weird. We're about to hit the dance floor at Jackrabbit Slims because we've got that Saturday night fever, baby. I loved this movie, too. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I just pray that Green Book doesn't win Best Oh, Picture. God, I know. That- <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Talk Movie to Me, a weekly podcast where we either feature a new release and delve into our weekend entertainment, focus in on a performer's career, or buy an extra large popcorn and do a double feature. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. Uh, Hey guys, knock knock. Is there? No, I'm not even gonna, (laughs) I'm not even gonna, I'm I'm not here. Sinclair. Sinclair. Hey, who's there? Europe. 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 No, Europe. <laughs> Why did the chicken cross the road? Why? To get to the other side? <laughs> to get to the idiot's house. Knock, knock. Who's there? Who's there? The chicken. Duh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, knock, knock. Uh, who's, who's there? there? No bell. No, no bell. Who? Uh, no bell who? There's no bell. That's why I knocked. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Groan, groan, groan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Knock at the Cabin is the latest film from M. Night Shyamalan, a director who made a huge splash in the 90s with I See Dead People and whose filmography has been pretty hit or miss since. This movie tells a story of a family vacation gone very, very wrong. Two fathers, Daddy Eric, played by Jonathan Groff, and Daddy Andrew, that's Ben Aldridge, are enjoying a little family stay at a beautiful little cabin with their daughter, Wen played by Kristen Cooey. But their bucolic bliss turns bitter when four strangers arrive, carrying ominous weapons and presenting them with an impossible choice to make. See, these aren't run-of-the-mill psycho home invaders. They're here on a mission to save the world. At least that's what they say. And the fate of all life on Earth lays in the hands of this happy family. In order to prevent the apocalypse, either Eric, Andrew, or Wen must be sacrificed. And the family has to make the choice themselves who it will be not just that they must do the actual sacrifice themselves dark days knock at the cabin asks the question can faith bridge the divide between opposing truths or are we truly just horses that can be led to water but will only drink when we really have no choice but to first impression helen yeah so this movie starts off and kind of doesn't waste any time gets right into it which i appreciate it Mm -hmm. we see young wen capturing grasshoppers for a little jar of grasshoppers that she's studying and then soon after dave batista approaches her and attempts to befriend her to come into the cabin and tell her family that they have to kill somebody (laughs) but yeah it just it, it really gets right into it which i i liked i was like great I have seen the trailers for this movie. I know it's happening already. So, yeah, let's not waste any time. Let's just get going. <laughs> yeah. The inciting incident happens at about 90 seconds into this film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is fine by me. Mm. Uh, Sinclair? Yeah. Well, when this movie first started, uh, I had read a first little bit of this book like a couple years back and put it down and never picked it up again. <laughs> right. That is funny. Uh, no offense to the book or anything. It was fine. I just wasn't in, in the mood at the time, and I just never picked it back up. Uh, so when this started, I was like, okay, yes, I actually do know this part um, up until the point when they go into the cabin. And I was like, yep, and then that's where I stopped reading. <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of found that to be enjoyable because M. Night Shyamalan has movies with so many twists and turns that I hadn't finished the books I didn't know where this was going and I and I did feel a little bit of excitement with Mm. that but you know as as soon as you see Dave Batista immediately I I don't want to say I'm like judging his acting but right away I'm thinking like is he good can can he pull this off Mm. 
And it is a little bit stale at the beginning, I find. So I was paying attention to the beat by beat acting that was kind of going back and forth. But I did start to ease into it a lot more as the film progressed. But there's also just a lot of strange shots, too, at the beginning mm. of this film. The camera is very close on their faces. Very close. Yeah. It's uh, outside in the broad daylight. It's very, very bright. The green is very saturated. So everything does feel like a bit discombobulating and a little bit awkward at first. But I was really interested in, in where it was going. And I did have a, a bit of excitement as well. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. My, for, for me, my first impression was really the opening credits mm. sequence more than anything else. All these like doodles on documents, like, yeah. bills or whatever. And they were horrifying ones like demons and death yeah. and this little mm-hmm. map of paths drawn to this cabin. But what I noticed, honestly, above all else was the score. Mm-hmm. It starts with this like low bass, this rumbling with like eerie voices, like ah, and I was like ugh, and then these incredibly intense strings come in, diabolical, screeching mm-hmm. almost, and this thunderous like booming horn or whatever, and this bass sound, and then back to the creepy choral singing. I was really like transfixed by mm. that score right off the bat it was overwhelming it felt very like grandiose and the composer is credited right at the beginning and i see it someone named herdy Steffen's daughter and i was like <laughs> okay perfect i just love this because it's just that is such a perfectly mythic sounding name that i was yeah. fully on board yeah yeah. <laughs> funny. yeah okay so why don't we get right into storytelling yeah well this is based on a book from 2018 it's a horror book it's actually called The Cabin at the End of the World. And it was interesting because when I saw this trailer, it said Knock hmm. at the Cabin. And I was like, this seems like really familiar. Yeah. And then after the trailer, I was like, once again, that book that I never finished reading yeah. <laughs> from like a couple of years ago. But they've changed the name. Why? I prefer the novel name. I think maybe Cabin at the End of the World was, did they feel like it was too giving too much away? Or something like, I need to know why they changed that title. Yeah. I prefer it. It's much yeah. stronger, I think. Yeah. And there are some differences that we can get into as we further discuss storytelling. There are some things that will definitely come up, um, especially the ending, which I sneakily read today <laughs> uh, because I wanted to compare the yeah, ending of the movie sense. to the en- ending of the book. I'm curious about the title change. And I remember the first time I saw a trailer for this movie, there was so much emphasis on the actual knock. Like Mm. the ominous knock on the door was like the words of the title coming up on the screen. Mm -hmm. And it it was really playing into this idea of these random strangers showing up at your door with these odd weapons and how Mm. scary that would be, which is really the first 10 minutes. Yeah. Like this movie is not that. At all. And Mm. so I wonder if the studio was like, we need to try to pitch this as like a scarier movie. Because something I will say about this movie is this didn't scare me. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. makes you think, but it I wasn't scared like for a mm-hmm. second watching this movie. I was it's disturbing, but I wasn't like actually scared and I think yeah. people expect to be scared when they're watching an M Night Shyamalan movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's Or fair. we used to at least. I yeah, don't yeah. Generally anymore. I think that's fair Helen in terms of maybe how it was marketed and with the trailers. Yeah. This is a really straightforward premise mm-hmm. of a film. Like truly it is. Four people arrive a family has to make a decision, sacrifice one of them, you know, save the world. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't really, like, yeah. it doesn't vary from that. No. And it's all pretty much contained in, yeah. in one location as well. And it's a series of conversations. And I thought that was interesting as a story, actually, to have mm-hmm. this really small space and kind of small story in terms of s- that type of scale, mm-hmm. but contrasted with couldn't be more epic in terms of the scope or stakes, right? Mm. Yeah, true. You could almost see this being done as a play. Yeah, yeah totally. And I actually think this could be a very effective play. Really I think. good play. Agreed. Yeah. What gripped me the most about this movie is observing the characters trying to convince the other side to see their position. Mm-hmm. And this is something that, I've talked about on the podcast before, most recently with the movie Speak No Evil, Mm -hmm. which is about people 
using their words to convince others to do unspeakable things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that episode, I also referenced the movie Compliance, which is a similar thing where you're watching somebody not physically threaten. I mean, in this movie they do, but there's mm-hmm. a lot of talking in this movie where it's like, I need you to believe what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And that was the most interesting part of this movie. I think that it is successful in that way in the beginning and I don't think that it really resolves to anything that's very satisfying but the existential questions that this like poses I think is interesting I think there's some interesting stuff here yeah what did you guys think yeah I, so the the thing about the conversation that part was interesting for me too Helen it, it, it like worked and didn't work mm. I think there's there was something here that's sort of like dancing around this conversation about the polarization of our society. Right. That's yeah. I was feeling that. It's like how people are really interacting with other people right now facing really incredibly complicated and challenging things mm. that are happening in the world but with two totally different ideas of what is true. Right. That just simply cannot coexist. Yeah. And I think that is mirrored in some ways by the characters here in this film. I did find that interesting, but I also think that the movie would have been stronger if there had been even just slightly more ambiguity or doubt there. Yeah, I agree mm. with that. Like near the end, we do get Daddy Eric starting to believe a little about what the intruders are saying. There's doubt has crept in, but he's really the only one. And I and I thought like a more interesting kind of conversation. It was mm-hmm. just literally one side trying to convince the other side. Mm. And I wanted one of the four intruders to become less sort of resolute and mm. and have that doubt creep in. Mm. They have very brief moments of doubt, but it is very brief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it didn't really lend to a deeper question yeah, for that's me because they were both so firm in what they thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the themes in this are very heavy and mm-hmm. they're very deep and I don't want to say that M. Night Shyamalan can't get to the depths that these themes should be explored mm-hmm. but at the same time when I think M. Night Shyamalan I don't think like metaphorical horror mm-hmm. right you know <laughs> I don't think an Ari Aster Mm-hmm. Right, you know, like that's not really his thing. He does very tight, thrilling movies, but I wouldn't say he has a lot of like deep metaphorical themes running through. Right. And this is quite heavy and mm-hmm. quite dark. It's very, very dark. And I just don't think that he is necessarily the director to take this material to the level that it has the potential for and I think that that's why this movie is good but it's not great like it's an enjoyable time it's a thrilling time Mm -hmm. but it's not a great film I agree I I thought to myself while watching this that it almost felt like this was an American remake of a European film yeah. Oh, where, I get it. yeah. Where like the European version would have been more nuanced and more I don't mm-hmm. know, naturalistic, and then this was sort of like the Hollywoodized version that like just doesn't really land. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is it's, not, but like that's how it felt. More it's it's making the themes more accessible. Yes. Right. And I was thinking about, okay, well, what other directors would have taken this to the next level. And I definitely mm. thought of Jennifer Kent, who did The Babadook oh, and yeah, yeah. The yeah. Nighting- Nightingale. Um, there's also David Bruckner, who did The Ritual, which mm. was on Netflix and mm-hmm. Nighthouse, which have this very dark tone to them and are very metaphorical and like obviously Ari Aster. Because this does play like it's going to be just kind of this apocalyptic battle in the end but then when you watch it you go this is very queer horror Mm. and that's just more like a surface level addition versus it being actually explored yes but also at the beginning it does seem like they're going to make the movie okay these two characters are two gay characters and that isn't necessarily going to be the driving point of the narrative Mm -hmm. because even at first you know the four quote-unquote horsemen come in and they say we didn't even know you were a same-sex couple Mm -hmm. 
So at first you're like, oh, maybe that's not going to be what this is. Maybe we're watching a movie that's just normalizing seeing a gay couple. But then you watch it and then you're like, oh, no, this is 100% about the queer experience. Right. and, and, And deeply, deeply so. Yeah, but still only just touching the surface mm-hmm. enough to make people who are really astute and really looking for it and empathetic or un- have an understanding of the queer experience get it. Yes. But but still be super palatable for everybody who right. maybe doesn't or maybe hates queers or maybe right. thinks, oh, yeah, well, yeah, one of them had to, one of these gay dads had to sacrifice himself because they were sinners. <laughs> yeah. So it never fully reaches the depths of those themes. And I also think even just from the other themes, like about, you know, you always have a choice Mm. or it's a matter of faith. I don't know that the film is really probing anything because it actually just gives us all of the answers. I know. I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. I did from an entertainment perspective. I loved seeing the planes falling. I loved seeing the tsunami scenes. I like from just watching yeah. an engaging, entertaining, thrilling movie. I was like, yes, but it doesn't make you question anything because there's yeah. no ambiguity. So you're like, yeah. well, yeah, every single person, every one of us watching is basically going to behave exactly like right. the dads yeah. are going to say, yeah. fuck you, you're crazy, up until they literally watch the world collapse around them. And then they're like, oh okay, well, I guess it is actually happening, you know. But the choice is more specific to the gay characters because you're essentially saying, do you want to save a world and forgive a world that has persecuted Mm. you? Right. Is that a world worth saving? It's not just like me choosing, you know. It is very specific to a group of people that have been harmed by the world and persecuted by the world Mm. and that's what makes the choice even more complicated in terms Mm -hmm. of its themes but again the film gives us the answer because andrew is voicing all of that daddy andrew is saying which is it worth saving all these people who hate us Mm. but you don't actually ever doubt that it's worth saving you don't ever really think no, all you can think is what Eric says, which is, yes, you have to save the world. Right. So when I sneakily read the end of the book, they do mm-hmm. not save the world. Really? <laughs> and so at the end of the book, I get the ending that I wanted from the movie. Because <laughs> right. in the movie, I'm watching it and I was thinking, absolutely not. Mm. I am not <laughs> going to play this game of this vengeful God that's mm-hmm. deciding who's a sinner and who's this and making the making these two families absolutely not will I participate. Mm. You know, and I I'm going like, yeah, Andrew, you're right. Daddy Andrew, you're right. Absolutely. <laughs> mm-hmm. But there is an argument for both sides of this, which is really interesting because you do have Eric saying we can forgive this world and we can save Mm. this world and there's hope in this world. And then at the end of the book, essentially what the book is saying and that idea of letting the world burn or, or walking away from this choice is saying we are two gay men who have decided to be together and the end of the world won't even stop that. So metaphorically, I think that idea is very powerful, even more powerful than the way the movie ended. Yeah, I I would have just liked for there to be another layer to this. I think from the get-go, I expected that they were legitimate, the intruders, and the world was ending. And that's just how it is. You know, like, we do come to expect twists in M. Night movies, which I think maybe he's moved away from that a little bit, from that Mm -hmm. expectation. But there is no twist in this movie at all. It's just like, this is what it is. Mm-hmm. which kind of goes back to the earlier conversation about like is he the right person to handle this material because mm-hmm. it just didn't there wasn't enough there for me to care about that it would have been more interesting for me to actually have them not be legitimate somehow in the end like that could have been more interesting to me mm-hmm. i don't know it just it just it, it was lackluster in a, in that sense Okay, so here's my actual question. Like, what would you do if you found yourself in this situation? And what would it take for you to believe? 
Yeah, and that's the fun part of this movie, really, is like playing yes. around with these thought experiments. What if it was the three of us? <laughs> yeah. I can tell you if it were me in this series, the second I got that gun, I would have just very quickly shot and killed all four of the intruders and yeah. been like, whew, thank God we're safe. Let's run into town and get a pizza. Yeah. Damn. I mean, this wouldn't happen to me because I wouldn't be at a cabin. <laughs> In, out in the wilderness. <laughs> and exactly why I don't do these types of things. Oh, my God. Helen, what would you do? Well, gosh. You know what? I might say it's. I can go. It's fine. Oh, you mean if it were the three of us? Yes, oh, that's well, what I said. I mean, oh, yeah. But okay, I mean, well, like, Helen has decided to martyr herself. I would. Um, no, I wouldn't let you. If it were the three of us and it were actually happening, I would I would volunteer too. But okay, I mean, so like, we're all trying to be the hero here. No, I'm not. Actually. Who no, says we all are wouldn't. trying to be the hero? I'm not. There is no way I would play this um, cosmic game. No, it'd be you yeah. or I, Hella, for sure. There's just no way. Yeah. Like, And this is one thing that the author does say about the ending of the book. He does say that he actually thinks the ending of the movie is darker. Than the book ending mm. because he says mm. and this is exactly what I was thinking while I was watching this he says what are Andrew and Wen going to do now like living in right. a world where they know that there's this puppet master up above right. and they know this to be true there's this mm. cosmic puppet master who can just exert wrath at any time like, how do you live in a world knowing that that's actually true? And that's why I would say, absolutely not will I participate. But to clear, and, literally the majority of the planet lives in that world. I know, but how, <laughs> like, how can you live yeah. knowing that that is true? I don't know. Ask all of the people who you know who are religious. You yeah. are literally one of those grasshoppers in that jar. Yes. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With Dave Batista peering in at you all the time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So speaking of Dave Batista, let's segue into performances. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's start with him because I think that this film only works really because of him. And I actually loved him in this movie. I did too. And he, <laughs> it's because I think exactly like you said, Sinclair, kind of at the beginning, you know, you don't know what to expect. He's such a, like he's fantastic in movies like Guardians of the Galaxy where he plays Drax and he's great in Dune, right? But these are not this type of film. No. And so you're expecting something else from him. There's a This is a deeper character here. There's fear, there's sorrow, yeah. there's all of this contained and you're not sure whether he can deliver but mm-hmm. he does mm-hmm. and he's also this gentle introverted character which are two yes. characteristics i would not use to describe dave batista mm-hmm. not that he's he can't be that but like you look at him he just does not look like he's that character right um and, and i and thought his only- emotional depth and like vulnerability was was so re- like i totally bought it yes it only works if he's not at all a villain if you see that he truly believes and is pained deeply by what he has to do Mm -hmm. and he pulled both of those emotions off Mm -hmm. i think he really pulls it together by the end Mm -hmm. for sure i had to warm up to him in this Mm -hmm. at first but he does get so much better as the movie goes on and because he has a gentle giant quality but he's so physically big i know he's just very interesting to watch in movies Mm -hmm. like this and i think that this is what separates him or will separate him from the rock the rock or Mm. from john cena or Mm. other wrestlers that have gone into acting because i don't think he's as strong and as charismatic as an action star he, I don't mm. think he compares to somebody like The Rock in terms of being in an action film. I think that what makes him interesting is him doing roles like this and like seeking out these kind of auteur directors. Yeah. yeah. Which is, I think, what will really set him apart. Yeah. And make his yeah. career interesting. I, I generally actually found all the acting in this to be pretty great and it has to be if you're gonna at all buy into it yeah mm-hmm. ben aldridge I... my man um, oh, yeah never seen him Come in anything on, before andrew. but love daddy andrew yeah he, <laughs> he was, was my favorite character he had so many good moments um his skepticism i just was drawn to obviously i also loved 
his physical moments trying to get out of that chair. Because yes. as I was watching it, I thought, how would you actually behave in this scenario? You would be doing everything in your power to try and get out of that grip. Like, yeah. And he actually physicalizes that, yeah. which is so frustrating sometimes in movies where it's like, you didn't, you don't, you're not behaving the way a person would actually behave in this scenario. Like you would be trying way harder. And mm. I felt that he tried as hard as you would. And he gives voice to what we as the audience are thinking, which right. is like, just scream at these fucking idiots. Like, yeah. what are you on about? Get out of my fucking house. Yeah. And I like that he also like beat the shit out of Rupert Green's <laughs> character. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and he's real hot. Like, I don't, hot. Yeah. I need to, I'm excited to see what happens with him after this. Yeah. Yeah. I have yeah. always really liked Jonathan Groff. Uh, yeah. I think he's a really good actor. And, and I, I have, a real soft spot f- for him ever since mm-hmm. looking the series. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I just loved him in that. And I thought he was really good in this too. He has that, that warmth and you believe that he could be a religious good guy that I, yeah. I'm sure he was probably in house of Mormon or not house of Mormon. Book of Mormon. The, Book of Mormon. the Book of Mormon on Broadway or something like, At some point, <laughs> is, he yeah. like old, is he in spring awakening or Book yes, of he's in yes. spring awakening. Yes. Spring awakening. Yeah. 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 I would have loved to see more of Rupert Grint, to be honest, because I got really into Servant, which was the M. Night Shyamalan mm-hmm. show mm-hmm. on Apple TV that Rupert Grint is in, who and he actually plays like quite a similar character in that show to this, like kind of just a smarmy, like East Coast dude, mm-hmm. East Coast of the United States. And when I saw that he was in this, I was like, oh, cool. M. Night's using him again. And he's in this for like five minutes. I know. So was I was really a little short. disappointed by that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like we should just give a little shout out to Kristen Cooey, who plays when the daughter, this is her very first film. Yeah. And, you know, you imagine being a kid on that set yeah. with all these adults around you, really established actors having yeah. to act opposite David Batista. Oh my yeah. God, yeah. Is so tender and lovely, but is also a gargantuan human. <laughs> when, their like, little hand, when her little hand goes oh, to shake his at the beginning. <laughs> That's yeah. a really cute shot, actually. I thought she did a great yeah. job. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. How about technical? Uh, yes. Okay, technical. There's a lot to discuss technically here. Uh, mm-hmm. One, cutaways. I find cutaways very cheesy. Mm-hmm. I understand that you don't always need to show gore, but in this film, the cutaways feel like mm-hmm. the movie's trying to appeal to different markets. I didn't really notice them, to be honest. You didn't notice every time someone died, they cut away and you didn't well, see Well, I it? did. I, I did notice that. But I, I guess you're right. But it, it didn't bother me. It I didn't guess. bother me either. It bothered I, me because it just felt like it was specifically trying to market to like a broad global audience mm-hmm. instead of like serving the film. More. I tell you, the European original of this movie, they would not cut away. No, they no. would. They would Absolutely show you those beheadings. <laughs> Okay, yeah. actually, here's what I'm saying. I'm, I've come around now. I've changed my opinion. And <laughs> okay. even about the cutaways, even in this moment, the truth is I didn't even really notice them or care when viewing it. But now that I think about it, it just furthers the lack of ambiguity here in the film because the truth is the reason for the cutaways in this movie are so that we can still see the four horsemen, as it were, as like humans and connect to their humanity if we watch the brutality mm. of them slicing and stabbing and pitchforking mm. and chopping up these other humans they will quickly become much more viscerally villainous mm-hmm. i think and mm-hmm. i i mm. think that that would have made it more interesting and more ambiguous yeah. a- as a film but this film wasn't that so mm-hmm. uh, okay there we are <laughs> so there we are <laughs> speaking of shots though i actually thought that the way that this was shot was incredible oh yeah this like, has very very specific and thought out cinematography by the yes. cinematographer of the northmen and the lighthouse no totally it's like there's a lot of really inventive ways of playing with different focuses and interesting angles of the camera like up the wall when they're coming through the windows or like down the weird creepy hole into the basement and I also just thought it was a great way to make this I mean this is all one location really and it never ever feels like a small world no that's true actually Mm -hmm. in the film and also those intense close-ups they were intense yeah but it was intentional 
Right. It it did have lighthouse energy to it in a lot of mm. ways where it is that one single space. There is like a claustrophobic feeling mm. to it, even though it the world does feel big at the same mm-hmm. time. So I could definitely see see the comparisons there for sure of his work. <laughs> And I mentioned the score at the very beginning, but that just maintained. I just mm-hmm. thought it was so yeah. incredible. And again, similar to the cinematography, you know, this is all one shot in one tiny cabin. The, the story is so contained visually, but the score is like huge. Mm-hmm. It's like it's end of the world and grandiose. Yeah, yeah. It, it helps you never lose connection to the much bigger story that's unfolding here mm-hmm. outside the confines of that little cabin. The pacing of this is also pretty good. And yeah. the film oh, yeah. is short. Yeah, so love it. that is one really good thing about M. Night Shyamalan is he doesn't have like three hour movies. He has movies that are a modest length. Yeah. They mm. are well paced. They are yeah. thrilling to watch for the majority yeah. of his films. And there's good moments. And it does keep you engaged. This movie, even though I think it was good, not great, it was engaging. Mm-hmm. I wanted to keep following it. I wanted to know where it was going. Mm-hmm. So if that's the movie that he was trying to make, he succeeded in mm. that. I don't think he tries to make great movies anymore. I think he doesn't aim for masterpieces. Yeah. He's yeah. just a prolific director. He just makes a lot of movies. And some yeah. are stinkers and then some are good. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but I think I- he just makes the movies that he wants to make. Yeah, I think he is attracted to interesting ideas. Like, this is an interesting concept. Servant is a super interesting Mm -hmm, concept. mm -hmm. The idea of old, which I fucking hated, was an interesting idea. Yeah, You know, like, all the power to him for exploring it. They don't always land, but, like, it's more interesting than... Some some other, some other exactly. movies not going to get into those. <laughs> and and it, honestly, if he's in a posi- if you're a creative and you're in a position to do what you want and tell the yeah. stories and explore the ideas and that you want to, then do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and he's also just a very skilled and capable director. And we all still go to see his movies. It's true. That's the yes. thing is like for having so many ups and downs in a career, nobody has given up on him. Really, we yeah. are still watching his movies. We and are excited still about getting excited yeah. about, oh, his next movie's this. That sounds cool. So, yeah. you know, I think he wins. The one thing yes. I will say, though, is that I've home invasion movies really actually quite disturb me. Mm. And watching this, I've seen some fucked up home invasion movies. But there is one thing about M. Night Shyamalan where I know that the ceiling is only so high and it's right. going to stop somewhere. Yeah, that's And I true. know it's going going to stop at a certain level and it's not going to go beyond that. Mm. So there is an element of feeling thrilled and knowing there might be some twists. But I know it will never reach the level of disturbing or fucked Absolute up that depravity. I have seen. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, but Claire, how many do? Yeah. All right, what is the last word on Knock at the Cabin? Helen. Yeah, I think that this is in the middle of the M. Night movies for me. Not my favorite, but definitely not my least favorite. I think overall, I found this movie a little bit hard to get excited about because it is about the end of the world and it is so dark. And I was kind of like, we all felt this the last three years to an extent. Mm-hmm. We all think the apocalypse is going to come knocking. Yeah. I mean, and there's it, aliens in the sky right now, apparently. Mm-hmm. So Right. Yeah. And, and so there was a part of me that was like, I don't know if I needed this. And so much horror these days does have a little bit of comedy to it that makes it more palatable. And this didn't. Mm. And I think for the subject matter, I was just kind of like, this might be a little too on the nose and a little too dark for me to really get on board with but i appreciated it and it made me think Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. sinclair yeah you know this is a good watch it's not great but it's well paced it's well acted it's a pretty decent night at the movies it does spark some really interesting debates and Mm -hmm. thought experiments for afterwards uh very interesting conversations you can have with your significant other (laughs) yeah so happy valentine's day (laughs) (laughs) oh my god (laughs) for me i thought that this film was entertaining i was 
fully kind of captivated from start to finish. I was impressed by a lot of the technical elements of it, including the performances, the way it was shot, the way it looked. I liked the sort of actual apocalypse happening at the end. I loved mm. those scenes. Um, <laughs> where it didn't necessarily come all the way through for me was any sort of a deeper probing. Mm. I don't think the film did that. I think it just told us what it was. Right. But that's okay. I, yeah. I still enjoyed it. Yeah. Mm. this episode we challenged ourselves to watch films that fit a particular theme and that theme is director's trademarks this is obviously very much inspired by m night Shyamalan, who is a director with many many signature trademarks mm -hmm. plot twist a big big yes. one um also a cameo appearance um yeah. i think he's in every one of his movies isn't he mm -hmm. he is he yeah. in this one yes yeah, he he's is in that he's infomercial on the tv oh right yeah yeah i didn't catch i was, was i was awesome. waiting for it i was like how is he gonna sneak a cameo in here oh, oh yeah. there he did it <laughs> yeah so yes this is our week in entertainment helen what did you pick okay i decided to watch benedetta from 2021 oh <laughs> directed by paul verhoven uh -huh. um based off of the book by judith c brown starring virginie afira daphne patakia and charlotte rampling hmm the book that this is based on is called Immodest Acts, The Life of a Lesbian Nun in Renaissance Italy. This movie is actually based off of a real person, which mm. I had no idea. When I saw the trailers for this movie, I was like, lesbian nun movie. Of course, Paul Verhoeven's going to do this. Yeah. I thought he just came up with it in his brain. But no, this is actually based off of a real life. Interesting. Have well, I that's certainly why he was drawn no, to it. I haven't it. watched this no. yet. Okay. So for listeners, I am going to be spoiling this movie. Benedetta is a nun in Italy as a young girl. Oh, she's a nun in Italy. And by the way, everyone speaks French in this movie, not Italian. <laughs> I know that does that happens all the time. But I was kind of, it, it threw me off a little bit. I was like, but they're all speaking French. Anyway, as a young girl, she was accepted into this convent and has always been very devout and connected to the Virgin Mary and Jesus. One day, a young woman named Bartolomia seeks refuge in the convent and immediately her and Benedetta are very attracted to each other and are kind of mischievous together. Benedetta starts having these visions of Jesus and is eventually like given the stigmata. So she has this one vision where he's like up on the cross and she's naked and she like goes up to him and like puts her arms on his arms and can feel the pain of his crucifixion and like mm. wakes up and she has like holes in her hands Marks. and her feet. Mm. Yeah. So everybody at the convent starts freaking out and thinks that she's a saint, although there are some people who are skeptical. And the more that she is doubted, the more that she proves that it is real and like Jesus is speaking through her. So she eventually dethrones the mother superior, played by Charlotte Rampling, and she becomes of the course, mother Charlotte superior. Rampling is mother superior. Yeah. <laughs> um, and her and Bartolomea are just like living large, having this lesbian relationship while running this convent. While all of this is happening, the Great Plague of Milan is spreading throughout Italy, and Benedetta claims that she can keep it from uh, affecting their little town called Pescia. In the end, this like bishop guy, he's not a bishop, I can't remember what kind of guy he is, but he comes in there to burn her at the stake because he's like, this is, this is blasphemy, this is not true. You've made all of this up. And the townspeople essentially don't let him burn her. They stop him and they stab him to death. And it turns out that he also has the plague, which is like evidence that Benedetta was right. And anyone who doubts her is going to get the plague and die. Mm -hmm. So I chose this because Paul Verhoeven does have a history of like erotic filmmaking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, most notably the 90s masterpiece Showgirls. Mm -hmm. um, more, <laughs> more recently Elle, mm -hmm. which uh, Sinclair and I have had a lot of conversations about. <laughs> and this movie truthfully i expected to be far more erotic than it was okay 
we get <laughs> a couple love scenes in this movie, but it's not really about that. Like, that's one aspect of, of this woman, but it's really more so about a question of faith. And basically, you get these insinuations throughout the film that Benedetta is actually harming herself. Mm-hmm. Like, she created the wounds in her hand. She's, like, she's faking all of these things to, like, rise in the ranks in this convent. But when she's confronted about it, she says, I can't control what God makes me do. Mm-hmm. So she sort of, like, puts it back on God and says, Just no. passing the buck, honey. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so it really is more about about her getting power and maintaining power and about whether people believe her or not. And there actually is like a postscript at the end of the movie that says uh, the plague ravaging the country completely spared Pescia. Mm-hmm. So there's, you know, doubts throughout the whole thing, whether or not she was a saint. And then they're like, but she did stop the plague or supposedly stop the plague from touching this little town in Italy. Really interesting how this is like cousins to knock at the cabin. I know. Mm. I And I did not expect it to be. Yeah. But I will say there is a scene when Benedetta comes to the convent as a young girl. She has a Virgin Mary statue that's taken away from her. That was her mother's. When she gets into the relationship with Bartolomea, she carves it into a dildo. Mm-hmm. And they have sex with this Virgin Mary dildo. Perfect. And the second I saw that Virgin Mary <laughs> statue, I was like, that's going to become a dildo yeah. later. I know it. And I was right. And <laughs> I mean, that is the most salacious part of this movie and it's the part of the movie that like people who say this movie's blasphemous are the most angry about mm-hmm. and I read an interesting tidbit that Paul Verhoeven cited something similar to this in the actual book but also said that like lesbian acts were always punished but in order for a nun to actually be burned they would have to have used an instrument in their lesbian sex acts so he's like i had to put that in there whether it had to be the virgin mary statue i don't know but this movie actually was way more food for thought than i was expecting it to be Mm. i really just thought it was gonna be a sexy movie (laughs) sexy nun movie (laughs) i was actually impressed by it i was like this is so much better than i thought it was gonna be it's definitely not for everybody god no no but it's it's worth watching for sure cool okay anison what did you pick All right, so my film is from 1997. It is The Fifth Element. So this is just an amazing action-packed science fiction film, and it is directed by Luc Besson. And this is set in a futuristic world where the story basically revolves around this cab driver named Corbin Dallas. That's Bruce Willis. And he becomes entangled in a mission to save the world from its impending doom. The apocalypse is on its way. Ah, the fate there you of, go. I know. <laughs> the fate of humanity rests on the shoulders of this mysterious woman named Lilu, and that is Milijovovic, who is the fifth element. And her mission is to retrieve four stones, representing the elements of air, water, fire, and earth, to defeat this ultimate evil. Right. So why I chose Luc Besson was, well, honestly, first and foremost, because I wanted to watch this movie. (laughs) Because I've seen it multiple times, but I just love it. And secondly, because the strong female protagonist is one of the most prominent recurring themes in Luc Besson's filmography. His films often feature women who are have exceptional abilities or have this strong will to survive or succeed in this male-dominated world. And one of them is La Femme Nikita, whether it's Lucy from with Scarlett Johansson or Joan of Arc. He, even just in his music videos, he's always directing Madonna's videos. He's drawn to oh, these cool. strong women. And this film is, the female protagonist is Lilu. She's the central character. And the movie, what I found most amazing about this movie, The Fifth Element, you've both seen it, obviously, mm-hmm. I have to assume. Mm-hmm. This film, like, really holds up. Mm, Yeah. It came out 25 years ago. The way that it looks completely holds up today. This film could be released today. The sequences that are really memorable, like the diva Pava Laguna singing that opera, The Blue Alien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is just as cool today as it was in 1997 when I was 14 years old. That's impressive. it is. And it's funny. Like, Chris Tucker plays Ruby Rod, and it's this over-the-top insane character who's like, 
Ruby, run! <laughs> and it, it makes such a ridiculous like juxtaposition and contrast to Bruce Willis. And yes, he's super coded as gay, but he's also not really because he's also a womanizer. So mm. in a weird way, it's progressive because it's this like presenting this future world where all of these ideas about masculinity don't necessarily relate to sexual, like sexuality mm. in the same mm-hmm. way. He can be incredibly flamboyant and like whatever and still be this womanizer. Mm-hmm. And Lilu is the hero. Mila Jovovich is so cool in this and that character is, is amazing and she it's up to her ultimately what happens and at the beginning she's just trying to figure out the world but then she can you know she instantly learns she's essentially just a weapon designed to stop evil but she mm. instantly reads through all of the encyclopedic everything of human history and learns all about war and everything and she's not sure that she wants to save the world mm-hmm. like is it worth saving it's actually similar to oh, man. <laughs> again to <laughs> yeah. knock at the cabin but she does because that is you know that is what has to happen at the end of the movie and yeah I thought this movie was just really really fun I probably have seen it 15 times over the years but I hadn't seen it in a while And it totally, totally holds up. Gary Oldman as the villain Zorg Mm -hmm. is hilarious. Like, Jean-Paul Gaultier did all of the designs for the costuming in this. So there just could not be more on point. It's a unique movie. Mm -hmm. It is. And when you're talking about, like, creating a whole new sort of world, a sci-fi world, this is really, like fun and cool. Mm -hmm. Is it his own creation? Like, he wrote it as well? or Yeah. Yeah, okay. So just straight from his brain. Yeah. That's cool. Um, All right. What did you pick, Sinclair? Okay. I picked Alfred Hitchcock to focus on because I feel like he is the, like, epitome of trademarks Mm. as a director. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I watched Notorious from 1946 starring Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman. Mm. Hitchcock has so many director trademarks that people describe movies that are inspired by him as Hitchcockian. Right. So there's so many different things that he brought to his films that have inspired other filmmakers that they put in their films and so I thought that I would watch one of his that I hadn't seen so I had not seen Notorious Uh, quick synopsis the daughter of a convicted Nazi spy is asked by American agents to gather information on a ring of Nazi scientists in South America how far will she have to go to ingratiate herself with them Mm -hmm. so Hmm. the trademark that I was focusing on here is the MacGuffin Right. So the MacGuffin is a plot device that Hitchcock would use in a lot of his films. And it's an object or a device that is necessary to the plot and the motivation of the characters, but overall insignificant, unimportant, or irrelevant. Mm -hmm. And generally the audience, we don't really care about it, but it's very important to the characters in the film. This is used a lot in spy thrillers. There's something that the characters are after. A really Hmm. good modern day example of a MacGuffin is the suitcase in Pulp Fiction Mm -hmm. that opens up and Uh. it glows. That one's a very frustrating one because we don't know what's in there. (laughs) And we will never know. It is just a MacGuffin. That's the thing that the characters are after. You can just read into it what you will. Why is it called MacGuffin? MacGuffin comes from like guff, like guff meaning nonsense. Oh. Like that's oh. just a load of guff. Huh. Is is kind of the, the tie in there. That's cool. But Hitchcock used a lot of MacGuffins in Psycho. There's stolen money. In Vertigo, there's a net- necklace. Okay. So basically in Notorious, Cary Grant recruits Alicia, played by Ingrid Bergman. Mm-hmm. She has to infiltrate this Nazi group. This is right after World War II. Her father is a Nazi war criminal. She has an in with these these Nazi scientists because of who her father was. So the Americans want to use her to, to infiltrate. Mm. And mm-hmm. so she agrees to step into this spy role. But really what happens is her and Cary Grant fall in love and because it's an old movie, they just fall in love right away. Characters mm-hmm. just yeah. meet, they fall in love right away, and then instantly... Are willing to die for each willing other. Willing to die each other, mm-hmm. but instantly also hate each other. It's complicated. Right, right away, mm-hmm. um, they're 
just at each other's throats, but they love each other, and it's all very dramatic. She infiltrates, and she ends up being able to do this because one of these main guys is in love with her. And he ends up asking her to marry him because, of course, he just loves her. They're going to get married, Mm -hmm. of course. And so she decides to do it, decides to marry him and kind of keep this spy operation going. But she's also in love with Cary Grant. It's a big love triangle. Interesting. At a party one night, she sees the German men react very oddly to a a bottle of wine. So the wine bottle becomes the MacGuffin. The MacGuffin. It becomes Mm. this thing where you're going, what's in the wine bottle? The Americans want to know. The Germans want to conceal it. And it all becomes about what's in this wine bottle. So it turns out that in the wine bottle, there is this uranium ore, this chemical compound, the Germans are going to do something bad with it. Who knows? It doesn't actually matter. (laughs) It's just the thing that they're after. And really the story is about the love triangle between Cary Grant, Ingrid Bergman, and Claude Rains, who plays this Alex, this German character who is Ingrid Bergman's husband that she's spying on. (laughs) And that's really what it ends up being about about it's a romance but it is a also a spy thriller but it's mostly a romance but it does work both ways Hmm. uh for sure but yeah i mean hitchcock has a ton of trademarks murder characters on the run blonde actresses in the lead roles shadow suspense tons of fashion unique Mm -hmm. cinematography very memorable shots and m night is very inspired by Hitchcock and Mm. there was a couple shots in knock at the cabin these these almost like complete full circle close disorienting shots Mm -hmm. that are in notorious there's one shot in notorious that is just this the complete complete circle like the camera spins and it's like you're drunk uh when you watch it interesting but also the cameo Hitchcock used to make make cameos in his oh, films really? as well so some m night tie-ins there yeah um, this is a really good movie though really good classic mm-hmm. movie well this has been another episode of talk movie to me if you would like to get in touch with us our email is talk to me at gmail.com follow us on instagram at talk movie to me tweet at us at tmtm podcast rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts thank you so much for listening i'm helen i'm miss sinclair I'm Edison. Um, hey guys, knock knock. <sighs> <sighs> <I was> there. <laughs> <laughs>